2015. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I'm already celebrating. It's uh, it's been kicked off. Yeah, it has. Welcome to the Green Divas Radio Show. And First show of 2015. Yeah, and we're like celebrating because it's already a big year, man. I'm skipping right now. Are you? Yeah. La, 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 la. So, yeah, well, we've got such a busy show already. Our schedule's filling up for the first quarter of this year. But this today's show is um, all full up with fun stuff, including another wonderful interview and discussion with Greg Layden, who is a climate scientist. And he kind of makes it into English. I think he calls himself a climate communicator. I like that. Right. I I think I was thinking of that and it was going to come out eventually. So I'm glad. See, it's that GDESP. We that, have that. I we know. totally have that. So Greg and I had a great discussion about some of the numbers that were being claimed at the end of 2014 when it hadn't really been fully calculated yet, and he wanted mm-hmm. to explain that, and so he does. Interesting. J.L. Fields, who just did a book about like vegan slow cooking. I'm not slow cooking. This one is the pressure cooking. Excuse me. Under pressure. Anyway, um, <laughs> don't make me sing. <laughs> it's so sad. Anyway, uh, pressure cooking, it made me really want to run out and get a pressure cooker. I no- have one, and I love it, and I, I don't use it often enough, and it's so easy. Yeah, well, that's the thing. And um, she debunk some of the scary things people have about some of the older pressure cookers. Yeah, like they're going to explode. Right, not happening. So totally listen to that foodie file segment. Mm -hmm. And then we talk to – we do a little business segment with um, Julie B. Stein, who is the founder of Koru Swimwear. I have a swimwear suit from them, and I love it. Um, Yeah, and it looks great. On you, you wore it in Hawaii, and I would like to wear it again soon. Yeah, I know. We got to find another place to go where they'll, you know, where they need a Green Diva. That's, mm-hmm. you know, there's got to be somewhere uh, in the Caribbean. Oh yeah. What do you think? Mm-hmm. And then GD's Heart Wildlife. We've got some new folks that we're going to be um, a new group of uh, people. What's what's the name of the organization, Lynn? Uh, BiologicalDiversity.org. Thank you. Mm-hmm. We're going to do some regular posts um, and segments with them about different issues relating to wildlife and the environment. Um, this one was really interesting with Jonathan Evans, Jonathan Evans, about rodents. And you would think like, I don't want to know about rodents. But you do. Trust me, you do. And you want to know why um, you shouldn't use the rat poison that, or, or the poisons that are often used. Especially if you love wildlife. Especially if you, don't you love, have to love wildlife. rats, but it's all right. about other wildlife. There's there there are ways to be um, greener about it and be more mindful. And I was pretty surprised, so my husband's going to hear that segment. Mm-hmm. And I need to mention our fabulous sponsor, BuyGreen.com, who is offering some wonderful gift certificates as rewards on our GDGD Radio crowdfunding. Mm-hmm. So um, very generous. Thank you, Doug. Everybody's got to go. GDG, uh, fund, F-U-N-D, GDGDradio.com, right? No. <laughs> it's uh, fundgdgd.com. What the heck did I say? You, you put radio in there. Oh, my dork. You don't need that. You don't need don't that. Don't forget, we also have a My Earth 360 segment. Oh, we wouldn't forget don't that. Forget to mention and it's that. a very special one about Lynn running around naked, so you got to listen. Okay, folks, no time. Got to go. <laughs> Leave you on that note. Stay tuned. More to come. Bye-bye. Overwhelmed by environmental news? Listen to the Green Divas My Earth 360 report for the latest eco-news bits from around the globe, carefully curated and borne by our need to say... WTF! But we also love to share encouraging stories and, of course, ways that you can make your voice count for the Earth. It's not just my Earth, it's our Earth, and together we can make a difference. Wow, feels like we haven't done a My Earth 360 since like last year. It's been, a, it's been at least that long. 
Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy 2015, Green Diva Lynn. Right on. So what's the exciting news this this uh, year so far? So far, well, um, I am planning to streak through Chicago. Oh, you mean streak as in naked? Kind of naked. Kind of naked? I am going to be wearing nothing but body paint. Well, and you I know, think I have to wear some shorts. Right. To avoid arrest. Eh, you know. Yeah, probably not a bad plan. Right. <laughs> we don't need me to get arrested. I'm just thinking of all kinds of other ways that you could, you know, disguise, you know, girl parts. They they have their ways. They have their ways. So. And why am I doing that? Why yeah, is what it you, being mentioned in the My Earth 360 report? Yeah, let, let me let me ask why. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to know why is Lynn going to run naked with body paint on through the streets I am of Chicago? Going to do it. Under certain circumstances only. Oh, oh come on. All right, here's, here's the caveat. caveat to this. I'm doing it if we hit our $50,000 goal for GDGD Radio. Okay. Since we have that crowdfunding campaign, give it a little spice. Yeah. Add a little challenge to it. And, yeah, if we hit that goal, I'm going to do it. All right, people. There's a challenge in here. and um, Take action. If you've never seen a picture of Lynn... Uh, I advise that you go look for one. And she's a beautiful, a beautiful <laughs> yogin, a yogini, um, and uh, with I'm her beautiful on the inside too. Well, yeah, yeah okay. I'd like to think you are, you are. But I just kind of want to make it clear that people will enjoy watching your painted body running through the streets of Chicago. Well, and one of the perks of the crowdfund campaign is that I will send you an autographed photo of me streaking through Chicago. See. Uh, I think it's, uh, you have to give $150. Well, come on, people. That's a small price to pay because I am a small celebrity. You are a big, Lynn, right? You're a big, beautiful celebrity, <laughs> and you're doing it for Mama Earth. And I am. To raise awareness for all of the things that we talk about on uh, the Green Divas radio show, GDGD Radio Network, um, and all of the wonderful different shows that we feature who – help raise awareness about things we can all do to participate and, you know, stop the hemorrhaging, man. Right. Yeah, so um, that's my news. We, that's all we have time for today. So that's kind of good news. I think it's awesome news. I think you're a brave soul. Uh, and uh, Yeah, well, we'll see that when the day comes. But I'll be happy to do it if we hit that goal. All right, people. You heard Fund, it here first. you got to go to Fund. GDGD.com, people. I think you have to go there. And yeah, like, you have to. And my on. picture's there, actually, so you'll see. Do it, people. Please. Thanks, Lynn. I love that you're willing to do this, and let's make it happen, people. Come on. Taking one for the team. <laughs> Especially if it's in the winter. I'm just saying. Oh. All right, stay tuned. More coming up. Get all the details from this Green Divas My Earth 360 report and lots more on thegreendivas.com. That's T H E GreenDivas.com and MyEarth360.com. The Arctic Circle is 4,314 miles away from the Hancock Building. So what does the loss of sea ice have to do with the weather in Chicago? Everything. More on that after this. Everyone wants to be a part of the green movement, and that's a great thing. Going green takes on a whole new meaning when you add tall grass beef to your family's dinner table. It's tender and juicy, and since the cattle graze on the natural grasslands of Kansas, it's also loaded with essential fatty acids and omega-3s that regular grain-fed beef lacks. It's good for you and your family and good for the earth. For more information and to order tall grass beef online, go to www.tallgrassbeef.com. For all its harshness, the Arctic is really a very sensitive part of the world. As greenhouse gases increase, so does the warming of the Arctic, which in turn melts more snow and sea ice that normally acts as a cooling agent. The warmer and greener the Arctic becomes, so does the climate around the world. 
While it might be nice to have a picnic in December, the ensuing weather patterns are no picnic. The ripple effect of global warming means change not just for some of us, but for all of us. I'm Bill Curtis with Earth Matters. The Green Divas love food. Organic, local, fresh, whole, delicious food. Here now is another Green Diva foodie file. Yum! What a wonderful topic we have for you today for winter cooking or cooking any time of the year with our special Green Diva foodie file, um, J.L. Fields, who is a vegan cook, coach, consultant. She's an author of Vegan for Her, and she's got a new book coming out right now about pressure cooking, which, you know, I haven't owned a pressure cooker in so many years, and I think I'm going to be inspired to go get another one because there's a million great reasons. Hi, J.L., Hi, thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm really, really interested personally, selfishly, um, in talking about pressure cooking because it's. I used to have one years ago for cooking rice and stuff, and I don't know what happened to that thing. And I'm a vegan cook, so what the heck? <laughs> tell me, tell me why I got to go get one. Okay, I'm going to convince you in a matter of minutes that you need a, a pressure cooker. Okay, I think the pressure cooker is the vegan's best. Because we are focusing on five food groups in our diet. We're eating vegetables and fruits, obviously. We're eating legumes. We're eating grains. We're eating nuts and seeds. When you take two of those biggies, grains and legumes and beans, and realize that you can make them in your pressure cooker in a matter of minutes, it's a game changer. That's crazy. Wait a minute. I I don't remember that being minutes. No, really? That's I knew it was quicker, but minutes. That's crazy. Well, you know, and and, in all fairness, you know, when you're pressure cooking, you put things in this pressure cooker, it seals tightly so everything stays inside, and so once the heat comes up, all the pressure maintains in the device, and it cooks really quickly. So it's true that it takes several minutes for it to come up to pressure, and then you cook at pressure, but still, I just over the weekend made my umami anasazi beans, which are one of my favorite things. I make them for omnivores because they are reminiscent of ham and beans. But of course, they're vegan and compassionate because I use mushrooms. I use caramelized onions. I put a little liquid smoke in there and some miso. So I bring all this umami out. But I soaked those beans overnight, those Anasazi beans. And I put them in the pressure cooker and I cooked them at high pressure for eight minutes. And you just have this delicious dish. By the yeah, that's it. it. I'm like I'm like <laughs> running to the store. So wait a minute. Now tell me. Uh, could be, first of all, I want that recipe because I am one of those people that the only thing I miss, and I haven't really eaten meat in you know twenty five thirty years. Although I miss like the flavor of smoked meat. That that's one of my things. Yeah. So I bought liquid smoke. I haven't done much with it, and I ha- I do smoke like fish once in a great while, but mostly. I'm a vegan, mostly. So anyway, so I like this this recipe sound, and umami is one of our, our family favorites. Yeah, you know, I mean, umami is the you know they my my co-author of vegan for her Jenny Messina always says the umami is the vegan secret weapon when it comes to it, it convincing omnivores or veg resistant people to eat our food, and yeah. it's by bringing in these elements. And liquid smoke is really handy. The trick with liquid smoke, though, is to not use too much. I, right. I rarely use over a quarter of a teaspoon, oh, yeah. but it's mixing it with other things. So yeah. if you take a little liquid smoke and then add a smoked paprika. Yeah, I was going to just, just about to say probably some good smoked paprika, like a tiny bit of cayenne, maybe even to give it a kick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep. Ooh. So so tell me a minute for a minute, like what how do I look for a pressure cooker? Where do I go? What do I get? Well, there are two really these days there are two different kinds. You can do a stovetop pressure cooker or you can do an electric pressure cooker. Okay. I have both because I was writing a book and so it was necessary. Right. Um, you know, my preference is a stovetop. I feel like I have a little bit more control over it and, and I and, and the price points are, are much more friendly, meaning you can get a really nice, good 
stovetop pressure cooker anywhere from 40 to $70. I, I tend to go with the Fagor. That's F-A-G-O-R. You can find them at Bed Bath & Beyond, Amazon, um, Williams-Sonoma. You can, they're really, really accessible. Oh, yeah. You and, just, like, my, my, my brain went right to the section at our local Bed Bath & Beyond. I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know they have one. Now, are they? Oh, absolutely. They're stainless steel, I'm hoping? You bet. They okay. sure are. All right. Yep. And how, and, uh, how easy so, to clean are these things? They're really easy. I'll tell you, the only time I have trouble is when I do caramelized onions because yeah. I love to caramelize yeah, onions. Yeah, me too, me mine. too. Yeah. And so I just use that barkeeper's friend to clean it. And when I say I, I'm, I'm actually looking at my husband roll his eyes because <laughs> I actually make him do it. <laughs> I'm like, hey, I made you yummy umami food. Yeah. Clean my pot. Well, that's the rule in our house. He who cook or she who cookie does no washi. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? Okay. All right. Yeah, because I'm a caramelized onion girl, so I can see why I... All right. All right. So tell me more. Like, wow. Yeah, so I told you the stovetop. And then the the electric is a nice option for people who are really afraid of pressure cooking. You know, pressure cooking has a bad rap, but, you know, there was reason for it back in the day. Everyone has their story of the split pea soup that yeah. ended up on the ceiling. You know, for me, we didn't grow up with a pressure cooker in our house. We grew up with a pressure canner, which was also terrifying, just yeah. that rattling sound on the stove. And, you know, modern-day pressure cookers just aren't like that. So okay. even the stovetop have multiple safety features. But a lot of people opt for electric because, you know, I've used – both an instant pot and I've used the Fagor multifunction, and you can't even open that lid. If the pressure hasn't come down, it will not let you open that lid. So it's, they, there are safety features built in. So um, I think that's a nice option for people who are also looking for these multifunction cookers are, are a pressure cooker and a rice cooker and a slow cooker. So it's just oh. one device on your countertop. Oh, yeah. yeah, so that's, that's pretty handy too. So that's the electric version? That's correct, yeah. Because and I like that because you can go take a shower, you know, or you can run out and um, sweep the sidewalk or get the mail, and you don't have to tend to it. So that would be the other main difference is the stovetop, you know, you've got heat on your stove. You know, you want to pay attention to this, right. and you're going to you're gonna tend to it. You put the electric one on, and you can go and, and take care of life maintenance while, right, because while the pressure cooker is going. Much like a slow cooker, it has a timer or whatever, and exactly. it'll regulate itself. Yep. Exactly. Because oh, I use a slow cooker a lot more in the winter time. You know, making all kinds of yeah, chili, vegan chili. I have a fun chili recipe with barley, which I don't really eat anymore because I'm not. I'm being gluten free, but it's so uh, good. It's barley and sweet barley potatoes. Barley cooks up great in the pressure cooker, and oh, barley and sweet potatoes, that's a, such a great combination. And black beans. Yeah, mm, yeah. Perfect. Mm-hmm, yeah. Exactly. It's a good recipe, but, um, yeah, it's not exactly gluten-free friendly. You should send it to me. I'll make it in the pressure cooker. Okay. All right. <laughs> I will do that. So, anyway, we, we could probably talk all day. I assume you have recipes on your website or in your book that's coming out that people should go get their hands on. Yeah, absolutely. So the book Vegan Pressure Cooking is available everywhere. The books are sold, Amazon, you know, Fairwinds Press, which is my publisher, is on their website. And it's also digital, Kindle, iBook, Nook. Uh, But the umami Anasazi beans recipe that I was telling you about, I was given permission by my publisher to put it on my website last month. So um, it's right there. And And because I love pressure cooking and I really default to it, on my website, in my recipe section, I already have like 60 recipes that are pressure cooker recipes Party so, on. for people who are just kind of trying to figure it out. Well, and I'm sure go. Lynn enticed you partially also and hoping that you would uh, share a post with our um, audience on thegreendivas.com, which we can put the podcast with and everything. Absolutely. Yay. I would love to do that. I have a really fun um, rice pudding. Rice pudding was one of my favorite oh, I could desserts live on when that. I was a vegetarian, and I missed it so much, so I veganized it, yeah. and I make it really quick, seven minutes in my pressure cooker. Okay. That's it. I'm going out <laughs> to get the pressure cooker today. Happy Christmas to me. All right, JL. I hate to um, hang up, but now I'm hungry, and um, hopefully we will get a chance to talk to you again soon. Everybody go look for the book. What is it called again? Vegan Pressure Cooking. There you go. Thanks, JL. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. Aw, bye-bye. 
Hope you're hungry. For more easy and delicious recipes and even more foodie information, go to thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com. Green Divas heart wildlife. Who can resist all those videos and images of adorable baby animals? But sometimes these adorable creatures really need our help. Let's celebrate wild animals, learn about them, and do what we can to help them. Well, I'm glad to be back to our, you know, Green Diva's Heart Wildlife because we do love wildlife and we haven't haven't done as many of these segments, but we've recently connected with Jonathan Evans, who is the Toxics and Endangered Species Campaign Director for the Center for Biological Diversity. That's a mouthful, Jonathan, just saying. It is. (laughs) But we're really excited because I know that you're going to come on on a fairly regular basis and talk about a variety of topics relating to wildlife and you know how we interact right absolutely there's a lot of things we can do as the general public to make our daily lives and our homes uh, safer for wildlife exactly so today the topic is rodents and i said that without a cringe because you know they're much maligned little critters aren't they they are and you know rats and mice have sort of developed quite a relationship with humanity over the eons, and it's something that we need to deal with. You know, there are some issues with um, public health um, problems and disease spreading, so we need to figure out how to address some of these issues in a safer and more environmentally friendly way. And what I'm going to talk about today is the ways to avoid some of the most toxic products for dealing with rat and mouse infestations and in particular, how to avoid using rodenticides. Uh, we found that um, since uh, around World War II, when rodenticides started being used more frequently... And is rodenticide, really having... honestly, I've never heard of that. Is that just the, the, the main ingredient in most of your common rat poisons? Exactly. Okay. When you go to the store and pick up a, you know, a decon rat bait, yep. um, there are certain types of active ingredients in there that can be really harmful, obviously, for the target animal, which is the rat and mice, but they can also have cascading impacts on ecosystems oh. and also have real threats to um, family members, such as children and pets. Yeah. Uh, there are a couple different types of rodenticides that are used. Um, one of the ones we'll talk about most today are what are called anticoagulant rodenticides. Oh, dear. And anticoagulant refers to preventing blood clotting. Um, They they essentially cause a pretty gruesome death, um, Mm. leading to internal bleeding or external bleeding from the animal. And when um, the rat or mouse eats these products, um, if anything else eats them, they can also suffer a similarly gruesome death. So we have some pretty sobering statistics. Um, From 1993 to 2008, the American Association of Poison Control Centers received about 12 15,000 reports of children under six years old being oh. exposed to rat and mouse poisons oh. each year. Oh, oh, um, that's a lot. That's an awful yeah. lot. So it's, and, and unfortunately, we're seeing this happening not just with children, but also with pets. Um, yeah. More than 100 pets die each year due to rodenticide exposure. But in using these products, we're also poisoning the solution. There are um, natural wildlife. Um, species that actually hunt a tremendous amount of, of rats and mice. That's what they um, eat to survive. Yeah. Barn owls, um, red-tailed hawks, hawks yeah. Cooper's hawks. Um, every time they eat these poison rodents, they are essentially getting what could be a lethal dose for themselves of these um, types of rats now, and mice poisons. So does that mean if my cat, you know, grabs a mouse in the basement that may have eaten this because my husband did put some out. Um, not, and he put it where the, the animals wouldn't get to it, but still, I don't like it, and now I'm going to make sure he listens to this podcast. Now you see? Anyway, but does that mean the cat could become ill? Absolutely. We've yeah. seen you know, yeah. fatalities from cats. We've seen you know, um, some more chronic illnesses. If you catch it in time, you can take your, your pet 
to the uh, vets to get for vitamin K injections yeah. that can help alleviate the anticoagulant poisoning. But there are other types of um, rodenticides besides these anticoagulants that don't have a good antidote. So oh, the dear. best thing to do is to really avoid using them in the first place. Yeah, yeah. We live in a big old house, and uh, it is upsetting to see mouse poop like you know, in places it really shouldn't be. So tell me what we need to do. Certainly. I think I would encourage you and your husband and your <laughs> listeners to visit saferodentcontrol.org. It's a very comprehensive website that was put together by the Center for Biological Diversity and a range of other groups to provide information to the public about the dangers of rodenticides, but also the solutions. Yeah. So what you can do, you know, I think it really takes three easy steps generally, to deal with rodenticides uh, and, and rat and mouse problems without using rodenticides. The first one is to prevent their infestation in the first place. You know, they're going to happen. Right. They're going to exist out in, in the environment, but we don't want them in our homes or in our buildings. So you need to seal entry points, um, small cracks, holes in the wall with metal mesh or a foam that you can buy at the hardware store that has a bittering agent that they don't like to use. Right. Um, essentially creating them from getting, preventing them from getting in and out of your house. Um, once you do that, you also want to remove what's attracting them, um, food, um, water from leaky pipes. Um, once you kind of get your home sealed off, then you can look for signs of rats and mice in your home, figure out where they are, um, look for rodent droppings, look for nesting material, and then at that point you want to treat the infestation. Um, so using snap traps or electronic traps, that will provide a quick, um, humane way to deal with the infestation um, without causing uh, the rats and mice to die, yeah. go into your wall, you know, cause a, uh, an odor problem, or get into the, the food chain. Right. Yeah, and it's upsetting. I mean, the whole thing, like I really personally have no interest in killing any creatures, but I really, really don't want to live with them, and I keep trying to tell them that. They <laughs> don't listen. They just don't listen. <laughs> Well, I think, you know, there are a lot of stories for us to learn, you know, from the, the problem that these, these uh, rat and mouse poisons can have. You know, there have been over 25 different wildlife species that have been documented with um, rodenticide poisoning, ranging from, uh, like we talked about, hawks earlier and right. owls, but also foxes and yeah. mountain lions and bobcats. And interestingly, I don't know if you or your readers caught the uh, December 2013 cover photo in National Geographic that had this beautiful oh. picture of a mountain lion yeah. um, in the Hollywood Hills. Yeah. And that is um, one of the uh, success stories of, re of getting wildlife into an urban environment. This mountain lion um, called P-22 after Puma-22 <laughs> crossed some of the busiest freeways in the United States to get to Griffith Park. Mm. But once it was there, it unfortunately suffered a really horrible infestation of mange that was associated with rodenticide poisoning. Oh. Um, so it's become a bit of a poster child for what we can, what the problems are with um, um, dealing with rodenticides. Fortunately, they, they were able to capture um, P22, give them some vitamin K injections, and then get them back out in the wild. Some of the more recent photographs show him much healthier, happier, putting on weight, and avoiding that mange, but, you know, we have um, a really strong impact with just what we're doing in our daily lives. Um, so if we're able yeah. to avoid using those identifieds, really can have a significant Im impact on improving wildlife and the environment. Okay, well, I'm sold. I always have been, but now I have to, you know, I think you've given a lot of good information for my husband to reconsider because uh, that's really just his area, you know, he deals with the critters. The, the, the outside invaders. <laughs> well, thank you. This was really good, Jonathan. Anything else last minute before we sign off? No. I, again, I encourage your listeners to visit saferodentcontrol.org to learn a little bit more about how you and your um, significant others can deal with um, rodent infestations without harming pets, children, or wildlife. Yeah, I like it. Thanks so much, Jonathan. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you, Megan. Thanks for listening to this episode of Green Diva's Heart Wildlife. 
please visit thegreendivas.com, that's T-H-E, greendivas.com, to learn more about wildlife, nature, and a whole lot more. Green Divas get to talk to so many inspiring people who each in their own way is helping us find a deeper shade of green. Here's just one of them. Enjoy. Well, isn't it about time that we get back with one of our favorite scientists, Greg Layden, Dr. Layden. He's a paleo anthropologist. He writes for scienceblog.com. Hi, Greg. Hi, how are you? I'm great. And it's funny because we were just looking at the show that we did because we were looking for your interview in particular because the last time we talked, it was a really, really good interview about some of this climate science and, and, and what's going on. So I guess there's some interesting things going on in the news we need to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> Something about it being the warmest year on record so far? Yeah, I think that's, that's an interesting news story because it's probably premature. Um, you know, news agencies want to give you the summary of the year in, of the year in events, you know, the year-end summary of what right. happened that year. And they start doing it in November. Yeah. And, you know, when just there's still almost 10% of the year left over, and they do that because on January 4th or 5th, when you stop forgetting to write down the new year, you know, <laughs> on your check, right. people for, you know, don't care anymore. So I can, that's sort of understandable. But uh, we have had a warm year. Yeah. Several of the months this year have broken records of, for warmth globally. And there is a problem in perception going on because... We have had people are in at least where I'm in Minnesota are still feeling shell shock from last winter, which was extremely cold. Yeah, and we had a, a really nasty cold snap at the beginning of this year. It's still unseasonably cold right now, although we're getting warmer. So, uh, for the American audience, it's very easy to for people to to think, well, it's not really warm; it's been cold. Yeah, although we're concerned with a global record and not just the record in your hometown. That's weather, not climate. So I think that kind of prompted people to look at this. And several warm, we haven't had a record-breaking month every month, but we've had several. And as you get a bunch of record-breaking months, you start figuring maybe it's going to be an extra warm year. Right. And uh, I I actually was in communication for several weeks with colleagues sort of talking about this. And, you know, we had kind of collectively agreed, you know, just just wait until the data comes in and then say something about it. Well, then we'll we'll hope that you'll come in in January once you have the full data and you'll explain to us what that means. Sure. But in the meantime, (laughs) a a couple weeks ago, CNN broke the news. They came out and said, you know, scientists are looking like they're saying it's going to be the warmest year on record, meaning since sometime in the 1800s when the various records, instrumental records start. Right. Now, we have a lot of information from before that, but I'm talking about the collection of data from thermometers and that kind of thing. Right. Got it. And, yeah, so... Uh, it a, a record-breaking year is almost never going to be that much warmer than the previous year, that, that the previous record. Right. Okay. So even a record-breaking year is still only going to be a tiny bit warmer than than the record is breaking. It's it's like sports. Yeah. You know, I remember Stephen Gould wrote this paper a long time ago about you know explaining changes in baseball records. In the early days, it was possible to hit a no hitter, to pitch a no hitter, a lot because everybody wasn't very good. They hadn't <laughs> perfected training and expertise in selecting players. So having uh, a lot of home runs or having a, a no-hitter game was not that uncommon. But after a while, all the records started to get filled up, and it's much harder now to break a record in baseball or any other kind of sport. Yeah, I see. Well, we have you know, many, many decades of data. It's hard to break a record by very much. So even if it is a record year, it's, it's not necessarily a spectacular thing. What's more important is that Decade by decade by decade, it's gotten warmer and warmer and warmer. Right. Now, there's people talking about the so-called pause or hiatus or plateau in global warming. The last several years has seen a little bit less increase in temperature per year on average than some previous periods of time. 
Okay. It goes it goes up and down. How how warm is surface? The air the air just at, at, at you know the height of your head. Right. And the surface of the sea, just at the very top of the sea. How much that goes up and down? You know, it it, it, it varies quite a bit. The fact that the vast majority of extra heat caused by greenhouse gases actually ends up in the ocean yeah. means that you're only measuring a it's a very, it's it's a direct measurement, but it's only a measurement of part of it. It's like taking someone's temperature. You want to measure a kid has a fever. You put the thermometer in their mouth, and if they've had something to drink recently, it's going to give you an anomalously low reading. Yeah, okay. The proper measurement of a person's body temperature is inside the liver, which we don't do to living people. Okay? <laughs> right, and, right. And the, o- the ocean's like the liver. You know, it's the big, so it's a place to really measure the temperature. Okay. And we're not seeing a, a, a slowdown in the ocean temperature increase. And so it's, it's, the problem in the context of the problem is people talking about this pause that isn't really a pause. Right. And uh, the amounts of any record breaking will be small. And the other problem is there's several, uh, four or five different records that are kept by different agencies. Yeah. Just in the U.S. alone, we have NOAA and NASA, and then there's other records. And they're all slightly different. So we're talking about a tiny amount to break the record, and all the records are different from each other by a tiny amount. So there's slightly different data sets, slightly different ways of processing the data. So climatologists are concerned with 30-year time periods and big changes. And right. when you're talking about a month-to-month or a day-to-day or year-to-year, right. it's, it's very too much. So my feeling is we probably it would, be, would have been better if no one had said it's a record-breaking year until January. <laughs> That's number one, yeah. Yeah, what will probably happen is it'll, it'll be a year that will break probably records in a couple of the data sets and in the other ones, it might tie or come in second. And, you know, uh, you explained yeah. it so perfectly last time, and I don't want to rehash it all, but you explained how, like, you know, it was unfortunate that the term global warming um, is misunderstood. And and so with all this weather, you know, there's there's some pretty intense winter stuff coming, and people go, well, it's, you know, so much for global warming. Um, and you've explained it so beautifully before. Can you give us just another quick 101 of, of why we're not talking about uh, necessarily your your weather being warmer any given day? Right. Uh, it, it's partly because simply because climate is a big picture long term. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that most financial analysts will tell you the stock market is going to go up by a certain percentage every year over the long term. Yeah. But it can go down for several years in a row and then go up for several years in a row, and it varies a lot. But the other thing is because of warming, you know, the, the weather on this planet ultimately comes from a process where there's, you know, heat landing on the, heat ending up on the Earth from the sun. And then it redistributes across the planet as heat does across air currents and water currents. And that sets up patterns of trade winds and jet streams. Right. And in recent decades, the Arctic has warmed up a lot more relatively than the rest of the planet. The entire planet's warmed up, but the Arctic has warmed up a lot more. And that that's like kind of like watching watching water go downstream, and you throw a big log across the stream, and now it disrupts the, the, the water. The flow, yeah, okay. Yeah, this has disrupted the way in which these air currents operate, and it may have disrupted some sea currents as well. Yeah. So an interesting research may be coming out in a, in a few weeks on that. But that has caused a changes in the patterns of the jet stream, which has resulted in a very weight, a high frequency of, a, of occurrence of a very wavy and slow-moving jet stream, which causes giant clumps of cold or heat to sit there in one place for a long time, or giant clumps of dry or wet to sit there in a long time. Here in Minnesota, we had rain the entire month of June, rain almost every day, and it started before June and ended after June. Right. Extremely unusual. The big flooding in Boulder, uh, you know, earlier last year, uh, in Calgary, these events, and the so-called polar vortex last winter. These are all a result of this wavy, slow-moving jet stream, which is a result of warming. Oh, okay. But the local effects might be a drought in California. Right. We're increasingly sure is linked is significantly exacerbated by global warming. These big flooding events and things like really nasty cold snaps over Siberia or North America. Right. Right. Oh, my. Okay, thank you for sort of, you know, and I think it's important. And I guess the more I listen to you, you're very good at articulating it. The the, the easier it gets for me to explain to somebody when someone says something idiotic to me like, 
well, it's been freezing out. What about global warming? You know, and you just want to kind of punch them in the face and say you're not paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> well, me, me, you know, I'm sorry. I'm, um, but but at any rate, to, to find an articulate way to answer that, and I appreciate that you're out there helping us um, put this in a language that makes sense. So one of the things we mentioned before we got on the air here was we were talking about uh, if anybody's out there watching Newsroom, it's a television show uh, created by Alan Sorkin, who Aaron Sorkin, I'm sorry, who had done West Wing, and he's always kind of got he's got an agenda, I think, and um, it's always pretty interesting how he puts his stuff out there. But as part of this new theme, and this is their season finale, uh, their their series finale, so they're working up to that and. In the last couple of show episodes, they had this theme about an EPA report that uh, was being suppressed that was just so awful that, um, you know, basically they don't, they don't even want to tell everybody like it's doomsday. And this guy goes on the air on the show. The show's about a news show, obviously. And he goes on the air and he just starts telling everybody like it's over, it's doomsday. You know, that's it. There's nothing more right. we can do. <laughs> so please tell me that's not true. Well, it's, as I watched that, someone I don't I don't see the series, but someone sent me a YouTube link for that scene. And yeah. as I watched it, that was pretty amazing because he kept saying things that um, are basically true. Right. I think some of the stuff he said near the end are not clearly true. A little hyperbole. But maybe, but I don't want to I don't want to you know say that one particular thing or another that he said whether is or was not is or is not likely, but. Um, he, he's, he, and it was actually kind of funny. I mean, he kept coming back to yeah, the news reporter. You know, we have to have something and up something upbeat about this. And he was, you know, no, nothing <laughs> upbeat about this. <laughs> no, and and so on. Okay, so you know, how do you how do you recognize the fact that extremely serious consequences are already dealt in the cards? They're already there in your hands. Yeah, they're not just a possibility. They're already out there, inevitable. How do you? How do you look at that and, and, and acknowledge that, and at the same time want to bother doing anything about climate change? Yeah, right. You know, and the very first obvious and simple answer to that is, if the wor- if, if the bad scenarios that are now in the cards happen, when we have stopped taking carbon-based fuel out of the ground, stopped adding CO2 to the environment, then that's what will happen. Right. If we continue to add CO2 to the atmosphere at the rate we're doing now and other greenhouse gases, those scenarios will be the good news. Yeah, right, right, it'll, okay. It'll be, it'll be worse. So, now, the, so there's hope. It's just, uh, yeah, there, there's still well, some hope in there. It's like you're falling on the ice. Yeah. And, you you, you know, how time slows down and you think to yourself, <laughs> I'm falling on the ice. I'm probably going to hit my head and die. I won't bother sticking my arm out to stop myself. Yeah, right, right. You know, you would actually do something to try to reduce the effects. Yeah. I I think a really poignant and and significant way of looking at this is think about real estate. You know, if you, let's say you're selling your house, and I come by to buy your house. I'm looking at your house. I I decide I like it and I want to buy it. And then you tell me, you know, just one thing you need to know, the state's building a reservoir here, and in five years they're coming to tear the house down and take the land. Right. Yeah, I would probably decide to not buy the house. Right. Unless right. it was really cheap, because basically you've just told me that the value of your property as a as a home and as a house and as a residential location is zero. Right. Okay. Now here's the scary thing: the amount of CO2 we have in the atmosphere now is 400 parts per million. Over the next few decades, it'll go up. In the past, when when the atmosphere had 400 to 500 parts per million of carbon dioxide in it. Sea levels were an average over many different time periods when this occurred, an average of about eight meters above their present level. Wow. Eight that, meters. That means that if you live in eight meters from the uh, above the ocean or less, which is pretty close, yeah, then your property at this time, in a sense, has absolutely no value. Um, it might take 150 years or 200 years for that to happen, but we think of real estate the reason why your real estate is valuable now is because someone will buy it and think of it as having value in 30 years from now. Right. And the only reason it has value in 30 years from now is because they know that they can sell it to someone who will think it has value 30 years hence. Yeah. So I it's could have beachfront, on the, on, the, on the upside, I could have beachfront 
property here in the middle of New Jersey by uh... yes, and it will be full of refugees. Yeah, exactly right, from you know, New York. Even, yeah, even Barbara Streisand, who is a great advocate for climate science, is not safe. I'm going to mention her just because her house is famous because of the Streisand effect. Yeah, yeah. Um, she's way above eight meters above sea level on the cliffs there. But when the sea level goes up eight meters, it will eat away that cliff. Yeah, you know, long after Barbara Streisand is gone and made you know, but uh, it, it actually has a lot more of an effect beyond it. So the point is. Right now, we've set up a situation where we are looking at some very dire consequences in the future when major bottomlands that produce huge amounts of food will be flooded and that kind of thing. Yeah. Over time, over centuries of time. Okay. But, and we don't actually know how much time. Well, we do know that the melting of glaciers is accelerating and it's accelerating at a pace that makes people scratch their head. It's like, yeah. we didn't think it would go this fast. Yeah. Uh, it's now going faster than we ever thought it would go. It's still slow enough that it will take a long time. Yeah. But, uh, so, how, how do you how do you deal with that? And it's possible in the future we'll figure out a way of removing carbon. You know, another another negative side effect of this whole thing is saying, okay, we can't do anything about it. The bad things are going to happen no matter what. But technology will save the day by removing carbon from the atmosphere. Someone will figure out how to do that. Yeah, wow. And then you're even less inclined to do something about global warming because you're <laughs> trusting in non-existing technology. Uh, yeah. The problem is removing carbon from the atmosphere takes energy. Yeah, yeah. Using the energy is how it goes back into the atmosphere. Yeah. Okay, so it's like saying I'm almost out of fuel. I'm driving along on the highway, and my gas tank's almost empty. All I have to do is undrive. Yeah, right. Not going to happen. go backwards for 100 miles, and I'll have to fuel. It doesn't work that yeah. way. So, you know, the, the thing is we can do things, and we need to do things to make the bad things that happen happen later, yeah. happen slower, because the rate of change is one of the most important things maybe not happen as bad, and the worst things that are not yet dealt to us don't avoid happen. those. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I believe that there are ways to mitigate what's happening and to adjust to the reality that, that is and is coming in our lifetimes and in our children's lifetime. And, you know, that's why there are people and scientists like you who are looking at these things and, and advising uh, you know, you got folks like Catherine Hayhoe or whatever who are out there advising government agencies and companies on how to adjust to what's coming. The other thing is, the other thing that people have to realize is, I was just asked in a different forum, what would I do if I had, you know, a lot of resources to, to mitigate, to, to, to solve the climate problem? And what I said was, I would create jobs, yeah. increase everyone's health, yeah. increase national security, and improve the economy by keeping the carbon in the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. right now, if you were to install passive geothermal heating and cooling wherever it's possible, put solar panels up where it's possible, yeah. put windmills up where it's possible, make a smart grid, that's creating a huge number of jobs that actually get paid for because every yep. single month you write a check to the energy company. Yep. You know, so we can, right now, it is cheaper to initiate an energy-producing project that uses solar or wind than to initiate an energy-producing project per unit energy that uses coal or oil. Yeah. It's cheaper. And so basically what we need to do to fix this problem is, is, uh, is, is are things that are mostly going to have extremely helpful benefits. Yeah. It's not like we, you know, we may have to give some things up here and there. I think we might have to fly less because it's going to be very hard to imagine how to produce a lot of jet fuel, a few other things. Yeah. But, you know, the technologies in the future are already here, and yeah. we just have to implement them in a way that actually is going to have primarily very positive benefits in our tax base, our economy, our basic health, because burning all that coal is pretty bad, kills lots of people every single year. Yeah. And there will be some negatives, but mostly they will be positives, and they can then reduce the rate at which we're going off this cliff. So keep the carbon in the ground, people. Mainly keep the carbon in the ground. And, you know... Um Andrew Revkin wrote, you know, he's the New York Times writer from yeah. .Earth. Uh, he's also a music, uh, a musician and composer and songwriter. And have you ever heard his song, um, Liberating Carbon? Yeah. Isn't it great? Yeah. <laughs> it's just what, that's what was floating through my head as we were talking, like, yeah, just liberating carbon so we can, you know, use our air conditioners as the weather, you know, whatever. Uh, I, I tend to I, I like his music, but I tend to disagree with him a lot on global warming. Do you? Because I think Andrew often makes points that are kind of the opposite of what I was just saying. In a sense that they, rather than rather than realizing that that we can 
solve our problems with existing technologies and some new technologies, and that the problem is very real. I think that his thinking on this is often goes back a few years. Oh, okay. You know, when we weren't as sure. He's less sure of, of what's happening with climate change in what he writes and less sure of what we can do about it than I think. Oh, well, he needs to be. talk to you, obviously. <laughs> we tweet at each other sometimes. <laughs> do you? Oh, well, see, I'm not keeping up with uh, with all that, but um, I'm really glad that you're doing what you're doing, and and I always feel better and understand things a little bit better after talking to you, Greg. So thank you so much. And will you come back on in January after some of this data is complete? Absolutely, we will be able to do that, and uh, it'll be a pleasure to do that. And thanks for having me on. Oh, thanks, Greg. Hope you enjoyed that as much as they did. Please visit thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com. For more fun podcasts and information on the Green Divas and low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green. You've been listening to the Green Divas Radio Show. Be sure to look for this and other Green Diva Network podcasts on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, iTunes, Swell Radio, and Spreaker. Get social with the Green Divas on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Subscribe to the Green Divas YouTube channel to watch them in action. And for all the latest good green news, visit thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com. 